we've been in a series called Big Knots, and they're the big knots that Christians are usually not known for. There's a lot of knots that we're known for, but these aren't them. And this past week, obviously, in our society, there's a big knot that is at the forefront of our cultural debate, and a lot of Christians are, are for that knot, but this is not the knot I'm talking about. Um, because these knots were knots that Jesus spoke. And these are knots that if the Christian church was to be known for these knots, it'd be a good thing. Not that the other knots aren't good things. Have I got you in knots yet? <laughs> but these are knots that are, that if we would embrace these knots, it could be life transforming. It could be community changing. It could be something that if we were known for these things, Look out, the world would change. The first we looked at was fear not, uh, that Jesus tells us to fear not. And obviously, churches and Christians aren't known for that. In fact, over the last few days, there's been a lot of posts on Facebook and, and magazines and everything, and they've been very fear-based. Jesus says, fear not. Uh, he, the, the next one, he said, judge not. And there's been a lot of posts about judge not. You cannot judge. And that's one of the favorite verses of people not in the church. And churchy people, they're not sure what to do with it, and we try to unpack that. And if you weren't here that week, you need to listen to it, because if it's one of our favorite verses and you're not a church person, you probably don't know what it means. And if you are a church person and you don't know what to do with it, you probably don't know what it means either. So you need to listen to it, or you just need to be here every week. Of course, I was here. I was gone last week. Who am I to talk? Uh, Today, we're going to look at another knot, another knot that Jesus gave us, and it's a knot that's, it's a hijacked knot. It's a knot that's been hijacked by folks, I think they mean well, but they're wrong. It's been hijacked by preachers and believers, and it's been tried to make into something that it's not. It's a knot that's being used in wrong ways, but it's a powerful knot. It's an important knot. It's something that we need to incorporate into us. Now, it's difficult because it's a knot that is one that creeps up on you. The knot we're going to look at is doubt knot. When Jesus said, uh, if you have faith and do not doubt. And he said that several times. And we're going to wrestle through that. And, he, and we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture where Jesus taught about doubt. Now, let me just say this. I have doubts. I have doubts. I have doubts. I have doubts that place my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with God the Father and my relationship with the Holy Spirit into jeopardy and doubt sometimes. I have doubts that cause me to wonder two things, and I think this is where all doubts find themselves. Is it worth it, and is it true? I think those two questions haunt most followers of Jesus Christ. They ask themselves, is it worth it, and is it true? When I was in high school, and I was trying really, really hard in my own strength, because that's what you do in high school, to follow Jesus. So I was reading all the knots and the thou shalt nots and the don'ts and all this stuff, and I was busy 
making sure that my sin was really well managed and that everybody else didn't know that I had some secret sins behind. And be, but, you know, all the big ones, I had those covered on the outside. And there was part of me when I would watch my friends doing things that I knew I couldn't do because I followed Jesus, but there was part of me that thought, is it worth it? They're having all the fun. I'm just sitting around feeling guilty. Is it worth it? Now, I had some friends that ran into that question, is it worth it? And then as soon as you start wrestling with the question, is it worth it? Then the next logical question to ask yourself is, is it true? Because if it's not true, it doesn't matter whether it's worth it or not, because if it's not true, you can do whatever you want. And so they kind of run hand in hand. The first one a Christian runs into, though, is, is it worth it? Maybe you've run into this in, in your relationship with Jesus, in your relationship with God, in marriage. Maybe you've run smack dab into this and you've thought, I know the Bible says, but is it worth it? Or, or maybe in your parenting, <laughs> you've thought, boy, it'd just be easier to... Is it worth it? Maybe in your business and you thought, you know, there are certain principles that we are going to abide. We're going to be honest. We are not going to bend the rules. We're going to do business this way. But there are deals and there are opportunities and there are things and you just kind of go, ah, is it worth it? And there's all sorts of scenarios in our lives that we come across this question, is it worth it? And as soon as we run into that, is it true? Because if it's not true, you don't have to worry about it. And I've got to be honest, those two questions bug me. There are times in my life that those two questions bug me. There are times, as a father, is it worth it? There are times as a husband, is it worth it? And there are times as a pastor... Is it worth it? There are times as a son of God. Is it worth it? And my guess is you are haunted and plagued by similar, if not the exact same, questions. Is it worth it? And is it true? This can be the crux of our doubts. Now, before we get into dealing with those questions, I want to see what Jesus had to say about doubts a little bit. And so I've just kind of gone and found some places he talks about doubt. And he gives these, he just kind of throws these breadcrumbs out at the crowd. And he just kind of throws these quick ones. I'm left-handed in case you're going, that looks weird. The guy's using his left hand. And we're going to look at a few of those now. And so the first one is found in Matthew 14. And this is when Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples, they freaketh out in the King James, and they think it's a ghost. And Peter calls out to Jesus. Now, this is key. This is very important. If you want to know what the Bible says, you need to read it. And if you want to know what it says, you need to read it slowly and clearly and well, and you need to think about what you read. And Peter yells out to Jesus, and he says, Lord, if it's you, then call me out to come to you. You see, Peter is a good Jew, and he understands that if God is going to do a miracle, it has to be God's initiative that begins the miracle. 
God has to be the one that decides whether you're going to walk on the water or not, not you. And so Peter says, hey, if you want me to walk on water, tell me and I'll come walking on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out and he starts walking on the water. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now that is a profound prayer, by the way. Lord, save me. I prayed that prayer when I was probably five, six years old, when I first came to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And hopefully all of you at some point in your life have prayed that prayer, Lord, save me. And by the way, my experience is that I didn't quit praying that prayer at that time. Last Sunday at three in the morning, Lord, save me. When my daughter went to prom, Lord, save him. No, save me. When my oldest started driving, Lord, save everybody. I mean, it's not a prayer we quit praying, but it is a profound first step prayer. Lord, save me. Now, obviously, in Peter's predicament, he's walking on the water. Lord, save me. Now, why did he start to, why did he start to sink? Because he started to look around and he started realizing this ain't going to work out. Why? Because he saw the wind and he was afraid. He began to doubt. He thought this ain't going to work out. Now, what does Jesus do? Shame on you. You are such a bad disciple. <laughs> oh, wait, that's what he says to me. Sorry. Does he say that to you? Does he say that to you? Let's see what he really says. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? There's two words that you need to see in there, caught and doubt. Jesus caught a man in his doubt. Jesus didn't catch him because he was of such great faith. Jesus caught him because he was doubting. You see, your doubt doesn't cause Jesus to kick you out. Jesus doesn't kick out doubters. In fact, every single one of his early followers doubted, every single one. And they toughed it out until he was betrayed and until he died on the cross, and then they left him. Actually, most of them left him before he died on the cross. And every single one of them doubted. All of them. That's what the scriptures teach. Even after he rose from the dead, it, there's even little snippets where it says, but some doubted. I fit in that, but some doubted. That's a verse that gives me hope. In fact, one of his disciples, remember his nickname? <laughs> Doubting Thomas. Not kicked out because he doubted Thomas. Doubting, Thomas. That should give you and I great hope. Because even in the midst of our doubts, and we yell out, Lord, save me, there's an example of Scripture of Jesus catching a person in doubt. Now, this is one of the times we see how Jesus is handling a person in doubt. And it, 
It should be refreshing to all of us. Uh, there's another time where he throws out another uh, breadcrumb to the crowd. Um, and this is in Matthew 21. And uh, Jesus has just had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's been rejected by the, the, the teachers and the religious leaders. And uh, it, he's hungry. It's a weird little story. He finds this fig tree. And there's no fruit on it because it's not the season for it. Of course, you're God, right? You would know that. He curses the fig tree and it withers immediately. Now, the reason he does this is because he's basically saying that we as his followers should be fruitful. And those who are the people of God should be fruitful. And it is a pronouncement of judgment against the leaders of Israel and the nation of Israel. And so he curses the fig tree, a a picture of Israel, and it withers. Disciples see this, and they go, wow, that's amazing. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach them about faith and doubt. Now, why would he talk about faith and doubt right now, right at the beginning of Holy Week? Because at the end of the week, he knows that there is doubt that could take them out. He knows that by the end of the week, there could be such significant doubt in their minds as to what has transpired for the last three years that it could take them out. So he gives this teaching. And this is a teaching that needs to be saved from churches and pastors and churchy people and all sorts of books because this one has been twisted into something it's not. Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Now, when I was a little kid and I first read this, I lived in Denver where you could see mountains. And so I read it and I thought, cool. I don't have faith. I have faith. I'm going to really try hard not to doubt. Okay, Mount Evans. Didn't work. But then I started to hear other preachers and other people, and they tried to help me understand the meaning of this. You know, if I had enough faith and I didn't have doubt, then I could get stuff I want, which is cooler because I really didn't care about moving the mountain. I just thought it'd be cool to do. Besides, there's lots of stuff I want. And I thought, if I could just use a formula that gets God into a, between a rock and a hard place. Oh, you read Matthew? Oh, bummer. Okay. And I, I, I thought, oh, well, maybe that's the answer. I, I get an opportunity to use God like a genie. And it's really interesting because as soon as the disciples heard this, none of them wandered off and started doing, you know, genie things with God. Now, why? Because they're Jewish, and they have very high respect for God. And I didn't, and I wasn't. I wasn't Jewish, and I didn't really have high respect for God. You see, I thought that God was at my bidding. I thought God was my little magic genie in a bottle. Faith, no doubt. Yes, what do you want? And see, really, what Jesus is teaching is that 
in the context, Jesus wanted the people to be fruitful. So they weren't fruitful, so he cursed the tree to demonstrate that they are under judgment. The disciples get it and understand, but they're also pretty amazed at this little sign that he does. And Jesus says, if you follow me, I mean, maybe he should have cleared this up by just saying, if you follow me, you'll do even more amazing things. I think at essence, that's what he's saying. If you'll follow me, if you will place your confidence and faith and trust in me and not waver in that, not wonder if it's worth it or if it's true, you'll do more amazing things than move mountains. It's not a name it, claim it thing. It's not a blab it, grab it. It's not a formula to get what you want. If you still disagree with me after this sermon is over, keep trying. Have fun with that. It probably hasn't worked for you yet. It's not about having lots of faith and no doubt and moving stuff. It's about having lots of faith and no doubt in God and what He wants to do. Besides, what's moving the mountain? You, your faith, or God? Last I checked, God is a free agent, and God will do what God wants to do. And if God goes, yeah, I don't want to move the mountain, you have lots of faith, and you're not doubting. In fact, there are mountains, kidney stones, that he wants us (laughs) to experience. There are mountains in our lives that He wants us to walk and travail and suffer through. The ultimate mountain that we will all suffer through, but we all pray to be removed, is our own death. Did you know that if you don't die, you get to live here forever? Does that sound fun? and age and age and age forever and watch your body fall apart on you and have more kidney stones and not be able to walk and poop your pants more often. Really? Is that what we have to look forward to? Death is a good thing. There are things worse than death. And Christians need to understand this. And Christians need to proclaim this. And Christians need to live this because there is so much fear of death even amongst followers of Jesus. And it is a mountain we are meant to climb. And it is a mountain that God will not remove. Why? Because His Son went there, did that, and destroyed it. And the way you walk out of a grave is you die and are buried first. Now, the main text that we want to look at is John 6. And this is a great, powerful text that we probably could look at regularly. And and Jesus is saying weird things. He he just pulled off something really, really cool. He just fed a lot of people without a commercial kitchen, without a catering license, and without a local grocery store. He just fed all these people. And uh, back then, that gives you rock star status. Today, not terribly impressive because we really would be far more impressed if somebody would help us lose a few. 
But back then, when you didn't know where your next meal was coming from, and somebody just out of thin air started to feed you, it got your attention. Maybe our equivalent today would be uh, the healing miracles. Somebody could just walk around and start healing everybody. Oh, you got this? Bam. You're good. Done. Want to lose 40? Poof. I mean, how cool would that be? And that would get attention. That would be a rock star in our culture. And Jesus has this rock star following. He's got crowds. And the crowds are really important because they're, they're keeping Jesus safe. I mean, not really, but sort of. Uh, the crowds are keeping the religious leaders from arresting him. The crowds are following Jesus, and he starts to talk about bread. And he just fed people bread, and, and he walks across the lake, and he meets them over at the other side of the lake, and they're like, how did you get here? We didn't see you on a boat, and it's a miracle. And then they start saying, we're hungry again. Could you give us more bread? And then Jesus starts saying things that are really weird, like, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me and drinks my blood, <laughs> and people start, okay, I was here for the free lunch. I'm not a cannibal. What are you talking about? This is strange. Not only that, he starts comparing himself to the manna from heaven, which means he's starting to say, I'm greater than Moses. Not only that, he starts to say, I'm like the staff that Moses rose up when the people were being bitten by snakes and perishing, and they looked at the staff and they were saved. And the Son of Man, when he is raised up, he will draw all men into himself. And this caused the Jews to grumble because they knew their Old Testament really well. And they start, oh, who does he think he is? And what is he saying? Isn't this just Joseph's kid? <coughs> and they start grumbling. And then in this grumbling and in this atmosphere, some of the crowd starts to leave. And the disciples start to catch this. Uh-oh. <laughs> Folks don't like what we need to... Maybe we need to, he's becoming a more and more of a loose cannon. Maybe we need to help him stay to the core message that people like. And I wonder in that moment if the disciples start having doubts. In fact, we know they start having doubts from what Jesus said. You start wondering if they start thinking, is it worth it? Is it true? It says here, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then a few verses, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus asked this question of them, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. See, at this moment, their doubt has an opportunity to take them out. And Jesus hits the question head on. Now, you don't want to lie to Jesus. I saw Neil Rusher briefly, and uh, he told me he was going to go play golf today because he's like, you don't want to lie to the preacher. But more than not wanting to lie to me, you don't want to lie to Jesus because he'd ask somebody a question and he already knew the answer to it. It's kind of irritating, some of his abilities. And so the disciples have to be careful how they answer. Jesus already knows. 
fact, the implied answer of that question, what's the implied answer? See ya. <laughs> That's the implied answer. And right here, right here, all of those of you who are named Peter, James, John, Andrew, your names and the popularity of your name is at stake. Because if they walk away from Christ right now, those names aren't near as popular today. If they walk away from Jesus at this point, all the disciples that walked away, we don't know their names. If they walk away at this point, Jesus has to start over, find new disciples. If they walk away at this point, they will never see what God intends to do with their lives. It's a crucial moment. And Peter, of course, being the extrovert, he jumps in the fray. Peter's the one that decides to speak. And Peter did a good job speaking this time. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Let me just suggest to you that when you have doubts, that's the key question to answer for yourself. To whom shall we go? When you have a doubt, that is the question that you have to work out. Because we all know that there are plenty of options. There are plenty of places to go besides Jesus. There are plenty of answers besides Christ. But do they have what you're looking for? Do, do they have the intellectual chutzpah to bear your inquiry? Do they make enough sense to base your existence upon? You could go to atheism and say, well, there is no God, and so therefore, whatever I do in this life doesn't really matter, but I guess I'll try to love my neighbor as myself because that helps me get ahead and get what I want in this life, but ultimately, in the end, when I die, I'm dead. And you can base your life on it. Many, many people do. But is that who you want to run to or what you want to run to from Christ? You could run to Islam. You could run to Allah. You could decide that, you know what? I do not want to follow Christ. I have too many doubts. It is too many holes. The Bible, I don't know if it's reliable, but I am going to try out Islam and Allah. And you can wonder for the rest of your life whether you're ever going to be good enough. And you can pray and hope that you will die in jihad so you will actually finally be able to go to heaven. And if you're a woman... Why would you be interested? But maybe you are. Peter has a way of cutting to the heart of the issue. To whom shall we go? Would you say that with me? To whom shall we go? Would you say it and change we to I? To whom shall I go?
If you have doubts, this is the question. This is the response to your doubts. In fact, the next slide shows kind of the, the, the lesson here. Doubt whispers this, is it true? Doubt whispers, is it true? But Jesus whispers, if not me, who? I stole that from Andy Stanley. He's really smart. Doubt whispers, is it true? Jesus whispers, if not me, who? Now, to finish up what Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the holy God, the holy one of God. You see, for Peter, he doubted, and later on, he will doubt to the point of denying Christ three times. Peter still will struggle with doubt. But for him, the question was, who? The question was, I know I don't even have all this stuff figured out, but I can still trust in my doubt. You see, sometimes we think we have to have it all figured out. We have to have it all sorted out. We have to have all the answers, all the skeptics, all their questions. And by the way, I'm one of the biggest skeptics in this room. I could argue any of you out of following Jesus Christ in a heartbeat. I could give you hundreds of reasons why the Bible has problems and issues historically, literarily, textually. That's what I went to seminary for study all that stuff. And I came out of seminary. And by the way, one of the sayings before I went into seminary from a friend of mine who was a custodian, he said, don't forget it's about Jesus, man. His name was Scott Humphreys. He's from the East Coast. Don't forget it's about Jesus, man. I was a cocky, young, Scott, come on. But I got there. And I saw, my goodness, there's questions and there's issues. When we started our, our study of the language of Greek, one of the, one of the bright-eyed, green-eared students said, so is this going to answer all our questions that we have about the New Testament? <laughs> Freshman, you know. The professor, he's like, it'll actually bring up more questions than you even knew existed about the New Testament. He's like, when you read it in English, it's like seeing television or a movie in black and white. When you start to read it in Greek, it's like seeing it in color. You start to see issues and problems and concerns and you start to wonder. Same thing happened in Hebrew class. And there were students who did not escape the academic rigors of seminary with their faith intact. And there were times that I waffled and I wondered, is it worth it? Is it true? But Scott Humphreys 
And his little statement kept coming back to mind. Remember, it's about Jesus, man. He was really right. And his education of me was free. But his words were true, and it was profound, because doubt asks, is it true? But Jesus asks, if not me, who? So the ball's in your court. It's in my court. There is no doubt that you will experience doubt. There is certainty that your faith will be challenged. There is no question in my mind that our country is heading into uncharted territory and unprecedented territory for people of faith. And you will be wondering at times, is it worth it? And if you can argue yourself out of it being true, then you don't have to worry about it. And you and I and our brothers and sisters in this country and around the world are daily facing that question, is it worth it? Is it true? So what say you? Remember, the answer isn't, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, it's true. The answer is, who? One final thing, uh, had they said no to Jesus, had they walked away, they would have never known what he wanted to accomplish with them. I think I have a last slide along those lines. Oh, <laughs> back, back, to, back to that. Jesus answered him and said, you ain't seen nothing yet, bro. I made that up. It's in the Greek. It's in the color version. Um, You'll never know what God would have done if you allowed doubt to take you out. You will never know what God would have done if you allowed doubt to take you out. In your marriage, if you walk away and go, this ain't worth it, you will never know what God could have done if you allowed doubt to take you out. Kids who are wrestling with what am I going to be when I grow up? Where am I going to serve? What am I going to do with my life? And you're going to go to college and you're going to go off to military. You're going to go to technical school. Or you're going to go work. And there's going to be people who tell you following Jesus is stupid and there is no God and you're a nut. And what has happened at your church is there was some ranting lunatic every week who got in front of you and he just brainwashed you and he just gave you all this dogma and he just filled your mind with just falsehoods and fairy tales and stupidity. But you're never going to know what God would have done with you if you let your doubt take you out. And so those kids who are on the verge of graduating or have graduated and going off, who is it you will turn to? For pastors who wonder, is it worth it to get up each week? to flap my gums a few more times. 
to wonder if it's life-changing, life-giving, if it's helpful, if anything is happening out there. Does anybody hear me? Do people take bigger naps or more notes? You will never know what God would have done if you allow your doubt to take you out. I hope I don't need to go on an application on this one. I hope that's something that you yourself with the Holy Spirit can apply to your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that Jesus says we can call you Father, and even though we don't have that all figured out, thank you that you don't throw doubters out. And I pray, Father, that in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our skepticism, in the midst of our questions, we would just wrestle with how Peter boiled it down for us. If not you, who? And I pray, Father, that you would bless us in the wrestling of our doubts, that we would not allow our doubt to take us out. And as we continue to tenaciously seek to follow and hang on to you, you would reach down and catch us. And I pray that we would just be blown away as we look back and see what you have done because we didn't allow our doubt to take us out. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. He has the words of eternal life. He walked out of a grave. You can trust him. Don't let your doubts take you out.